What's the meaning of life? Will you find it in discovering your purpose? Is it in relationships, security, accomplishment? Well, if you Google the question, what is the meaning of life, you'll find almost 8 million answers in less than half a second. Welcome to Through the Bible. As we dive into another great study in the book of Ezra, we'll discover where we can find the answer to the meaning of life the solution and the relief that we all need. So turn in Ezra chapter 3 while I share a letter with you from a fellow passenger on the Bible bus who listens to our Gondi broadcast in central India and writes, I'm a regular listener and God's word has opened my eyes. I was in bad company and did all kinds of awful things with my friends. Drinking liquor and gambling was my daily routine. I lost everything I had doing this and was totally devastated because of it. I hated my life, but I had no way out of it. In a time like this, I was introduced to your radio program. It was God's grace that the program I heard the first time was just for me. I turned around from my sin and surrendered my life to Jesus Christ, my Savior. Now your program points me to Jesus, who gives me peace when I feel upset. He gives me power to overcome the daily temptations. Today, I have left all the wrong things and am living a life pleasing to God. All of my friends are amazed to see these changes in my life, and in this way, I get an opportunity to share with them about Jesus Christ. Well, stories like these never get old, do they? I once was lost, but now I'm found. So what's your story? Has God changed your life because of something that you learned in our studies together? You know, we'd love to hear about it. So why don't you drop us an email at BibleBus at ttb.org and then share the goodness of God with others. Now let's pray for each other and our time together in God's Word. Heavenly Father, thank you for your Word. It's living and it's active in our hearts. And we ask that you would draw us to yourself, no matter how far we think we are from you. Your grace, Lord, is enough for us. And for that, we are so grateful. In Jesus' beautiful and matchless name we pray. Amen. Now here's Dr. J. Vernon McGee with our study of Ezra 3 and 4 on Through the Bible. Now today, as we come to the third chapter here in Ezra, we have the rebuilding of the temple. And actually, we should put the emphasis on the fact of the rebuilding of the altar and the foundation of the temple But we'll see that now in just a moment as we get into this chapter. I begin reading at verse 1. Now, the children of Israel, that is, we saw last time under 50,000 return in the first group. Then in the next delegation, it'll be around 2,000 that returned under Ezra. And apparently there are others that came in that brought it probably up to very close to 60,000. And there must have been several millions of these people at this time. But the majority has remained down in the land of Babylon and in the other areas rather than returning back to the promised land. Now I read at verse 1, And when the seventh month was come, And the children of Israel were in the cities. The people gathered themselves together as one man to Jerusalem. Now, obviously, there is a period of time that elapses between chapter 2 and chapter 3. We find that chapter 2 concluded by the children of Israel coming into the land. And we find that they brought with them a great abundance of wealth that had been given to them to rebuild the temple and to restore the land. And 
the people in that period apparently built homes, their own homes. We'll find as we go to the prophet Haggai later on that he rebuked them for building their homes and neglecting the temple. Well, all that period elapsed. And now we find that they come together after a period of time, could have been weeks, could have been months, and it could have been a couple of years. Now I read here in verse 2, Then stood up Jeshua, the son of Josedach, and his brethren, the priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and his brethren, and builded the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings thereon, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. And they set the altar upon his bases, for fear was upon them because of the people of those countries. And they offered burnt offerings thereon under the Lord, even burnt offerings morning and evening. Now, there's several very beautiful things that are in this passage of Scripture. We find that they searched the Scriptures, and they found that it was written. If you'll notice this here, it was written in the law of Moses, the man of God. And when they found it written, there was no controversy, no difference of opinion. The Bible was their authority, and therefore expediency just didn't enter into it, or the ideas and opinions of certain individuals. Now, this is a principle of all importance. This has an application for us. It's not today what men think, and it's not what men are saying, and it's not what I'm saying. It's what the Word of God says. The Scriptures are all sufficient. They contain, I think, all instruction that's needed for the guidance of those who would be faithful to God in any particular period of the church history. Now, that's the reason that I do not give talks on methods. I do not give talks on these different subjects that appear today on psychology, you know, that's very popular, or on sex today. Now, I think that if we just take the Word of God, we look at it, and not just one or two chapters, and have a nice little study of comfort and help from one little passage of Scripture. Now, thank God for that one little passage. But I think some of them, have been worn out at the expense of other sections of the Word of God. Now, I think that if we'll look at the total Word of God, that we'll find the answer to all of our problems, all of our questions, and we'll find it sufficient for direction. We won't need to read a book on how to get along, though married. <laughs> There's a lot of that going around today. Well, the Word of God, my friend, is the answer. Why not go back to the source? and come to the total Word of God. Now, that's what they did here. They built this altar. And I want you to look at this altar for just a moment, because we are told here that this altar was where they offered the burnt sacrifices. It's the burnt altar. And that altar, you'll recall, speaks of the cross of Christ. The burnt sacrifice that they offered speaks of the person of Christ, who he is. You see what they're doing? They're meeting about the person of Christ and his death for them. And that's the place of meeting today for believers. 
Now, very candidly today, every believer should understand this. Everyone who names the name of Christ, everyone then that belongs to the Lord, everyone that is a baptized believer by the Holy Spirit into the body of believers of the church, he's my brother. And that one is one I can have fellowship with. And it's not a question now of the color of his skin. It's not a question of his social status or his wealth. It's not a question of whether he's a Baptist or Methodist or Presbyterian, a Nazarene, Pentecostal, or Roman Catholic. That doesn't make any difference. Important thing, if he's a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, he and I can meet together and have fellowship. And we do, by the way. That's a very wonderful thing. Now, we find that that's the thing that is taking place here. And we find that you have this marvelous unity which should characterize the children of God. How wonderful it is. The psalmist says, Behold how good and how pleasant a thing it is for our brethren to dwell together in unity. And there the Lord commanded the blessing even life forevermore. Now, this is an example of that. And these people have come back. As we've said before, they were poor. They were an humble folk. They were not certainly those that were seeking position at all. And these people were exercised to just do the will of God. And they were very humble about it all. You and I are living at the end of an age. And the great things are over. And it becomes those who really today have an understanding of the times to be through with pretension and this counting of numbers because these people didn't have too many of them returning. And they're humble folk. And in simplicity, to go along today with the lowly. The meek will he guide in judgment. The meek will he teach his way how we need that today. We're always trying in our churches to do something big with organizations today, always talking about doing something big. Oh, my friend, we don't need that. We need today to meet around the person of Jesus Christ, which they have done here. Now, let's continue on here. We read, they kept also the Feast of Tabernacles, as it's written, They offered the daily burnt offerings by number according to the custom as the duty of every day required, and afterward offered the continual burnt offering, and so on. And we find these people now returning back to the Word of God, and they put up the altar. Now they begin to build the temple, putting down the foundation. Verse 8, Now in the second year of their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, in the second month began Zerubbabel, the Shealtiel, and I'll not read all of that. And he appointed the Levites from 20 years old and upward to set forward the work of the house of the Lord. Then stood Jeshua with his sons, his brethren, Cadmiel, and his sons, the sons of Judah, together to set forward the workmen in the house of God the son of Henadad, with their sons, their brethren. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, they set the priests in their apparel with trumpets, the Levites, 
the sons of Asaph with cymbals to praise the Lord after the ordinance of David, king of Israel. Now, these people here have only put down the foundation. They actually haven't put up the temple, but they are so enthusiastic about it, so thrilled that they've got the altar and they've got the foundation down, that they're going to just act as if the whole thing is built and have a dedication service and a time of praise, and they sang praises to God. It was to them a thrilling experience. I'm sure that many of you will recall, I'm sure you're old enough to remember, many of you are, I'm sure you're as old as I am, and that goes back to the time, you'll recall, when many churches in the 20s just put up a basement. They'd buy a lot, they'd build a basement, and this was in the Middle West. I found it all through the Middle West, and in Tennessee where I live, there'd be a church on a corner, but all you'd have was the basement, and they would cover that basement over with tar paper, and they met down there. In fact, that's where the church would meet, all kinds of churches like that. Then the Depression came, and many of them were never able to finish. Actually, many of them during the Depression just continued to meet there, and that was their church building. And afterward, I understand some of them found out that that foundation wasn't satisfactory, and the lot wasn't big enough, and they went out into the suburban area and bought more property. So that church was never completed. Well, it was just a foundation. That's all that they had. And many churches met like that. I've spoken in many places just like that when I was a very young preacher. They largely, I think, disappeared today because in this influenced society, we have to have the very latest thing and the most modern architecture and we'd never be satisfied to meet in the basement. But these people did. And they just got the foundation down. They're just a basement church. Notice verse 11. They sang together by course and praising and giving thanks unto the Lord, because he's good, for his mercy endureth forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Now, notice, though, what happens. That was this younger group. They had never seen the temple of old. Verse 12, But many of the priests and Levites and chief of the fathers who were ancient men that had seen the first house when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes, they wept with a loud voice and many shouted aloud for joy so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the noise was heard afar off. So that you had here two groups. One were the younger ones. They'd never seen the temple of old. And my, this was something new. And all their youth and enthusiasm, they're praising God. And the Lord bless them, by the way. And then there were the old timers. They remembered the temple of Solomon. And it was a beautiful thing. And I have a notion, many of these old codgers, one would say to the other, oh my, this is nothing. If you could just have seen Solomon's temple, these young people are there and they're speaking for their benefit. Oh, you would see this is nothing. Well, that wasn't very encouraging to the young, to be sure. And it is true. And that was one of the objections 
that God had to overcome was the discouragement that came to these people because of the old-timers speaking like that. And as a result, we find Haggai the prophet telling the people that the Lord says, go ahead and build. God's with you. And he was not in that temple at the end. The Shekinah glory had left. But God is with you now, and you go ahead and build. May I say to you that a lot of folk, you know, old-timers, discourage the work of God today. My feeling is that one of the reasons that this present spiritual movement is largely out of the church today is because that there are many old-timers that are holding back. They remember the old days, and they're not about to enter the new days. And there's a danger of us sitting in judgment on this movement today. I find myself, I'm an old-timer, very critical of many facets of this program that I see today. But let's withhold judgment for a while. Let's see what's going to happen. The Lord knows those that are his own, and he's going to get the wheat and the tares separated. That's his business, not ours. And let's thank God that there is a movement today and rejoice in it, not sit and weep and criticize in the present hour. Now, I recall that when I was a student in seminary, I had a little church down on a red clay hill in Georgia. And it was on a dirt road, and when we had a big rain, nobody could come to the church. Even the preacher just didn't make it some time. And what happened was that I stayed over my first summer there, and we had a meeting. It's customary in the South, was in the old days, to have meetings. They call them sometimes protracted meetings in the summertime. Well, we had it, and they asked me to do the preaching, and I preached. And in spite of the preacher, the Lord blessed, and there were people saved. And I never shall forget the last night. It was a warm night. We sat out on these steps of the church. And a lot of the young officers there were rejoicing, and I was rejoicing with them. And then there was sitting there an old-timer. He hadn't said anything. He had long whiskers. He always looked like Father Time. And he said, well, boys, you had a pretty good meeting, but I remember when. And we heard all about when, let me tell you. And when he got through, our meeting just didn't seem like it was anything at all. And that was very discouraging. I remember we all left a little depressed that night with that old boy trying to tell us how big it was. And I asked a member of the church that was about as old as he was, and she said to me, she says, it wasn't very much. Said, you know, says he's in his dotage, and as he gets older, that meeting gets bigger and bigger. And she said, actually, wasn't near as wonderful as he thought it was. Well, now when we come to chapter 4, we see the retardation of the rebuilding by opposition. Now, the opposition here did not come from the inside, but from the outside. And this is a rather detailed section, and I'm not going to spend a great deal of time in it other than to call attention to what was taking place. Now, when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the children of the captivity builded the temple unto the Lord God of Israel... Then they came to Zerubbabel and to the chief of the fathers and said unto them, Let us build with you, for we seek your God as ye do, and we do sacrifice unto him since the days of Ezra 
Hayden, king of Asher, which brought us up hither. Now, I'm going to have occasion later on to call attention to the fact that not just two tribes return, but all 12 tribes actually return. And you'll notice here that these people, they're saying that they had returned under the days of Ezra Hayden, king of Asher, that is, Assyria, had carried the northern. And some of them apparently had trickled back into that land. And they were mixed with the Samaritans at this particular time. And as a result, the Samaritans wanted to join up, as it were. Well, that's always been the subtlety of Satan as he's worked through liberalism. The very interesting thing is liberalism divided the church. Then it came along and said, now you fundamentalists, you're always fighting. You join with us. And because we didn't join with them, why, we are the troublemakers, you see. But who was it really split the church at the beginning? It was liberalism. Now, liberalism wants you to come back on their terms. And they said, why, we've been worshiping God here all along. <laughs> and you folk had just got back, and you just let us come in with you. Well, believe me, there's no compromise with liberalism on their terms, worshiping the way they do. But Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the rest of the chief of the fathers of Israel said unto them, Ye have nothing to do with us to build a house under our God. Now, they're not very nice, are they? In fact, they don't seem to be for the ecumenical movement here at all. In fact, they seem to be rather rude. But the very interesting thing is they were right. And that's the important thing to be. You can't always be overly polite. And when the two books come into conflict, how to make friends and influence people, that comes into conflict with the Bible. The Bible must prevail for the child of God. And then when you put in the power of positive thinking, there's sometimes the power of negative thinking. And these people have got a little negative thinking. They're right, by the way. And you just don't say, oh, isn't it wonderful? All of us are going to come together and it'll be just great. Well, it wasn't. And if you want to know whether we're friends or enemies, immediately when they were turned down, they got off a letter to the king at that time and they sent it to Artaxerxes and they are tempting now to frustrate the building of the temple. And they have an argument. They say, well, you know, this Jerusalem, the rebellious city, they're building the temple. Well, Artaxerxes didn't go into detail at all. And so he made a decree that they couldn't rebuild it. And so the letter came back. And, of course, these so-called friends wanted to cooperate with them, bring them the letter and say, you're going to have to quit building. And the work ceased for a time. Now we're going to see what they're going to do after this. But we'll have to wait till next time to see that. Until then, may God richly bless you, my beloved. Well, it looks like God's work is being hindered by his enemies. But just wait until the full story's told. God will accomplish what he intends, in this situation and in your life as well. We'll learn more about how God fulfills his plan as the Bible bus rolls along in Ezra. If you haven't yet downloaded your copy of the Notes and Outlines of Ezra and the coming study in Nehemiah, get them for free at ttb.org forward slash notes or call 1-800-65-BIBLE and request a paperback copy of Briefing the Bible that contains all the notes and outlines for the entire five-year journey through God's Word.
Again, that's 1-800-65-BIBLE or ttb.org. If you're new to the Bible bus, you may wonder how Through the Bible is supported since you don't hear a lot of fundraising. How do we offer so many of our resources for free? How can we share around the world in over 200 languages? Well, the answer, of course, is that God provides through those of you who are being served by His Word, those who regularly turn to Through the Bible as their trusted source of Bible teaching. You know, Dr. McGee called this support putting some gas in the tank of the Bible bus. And the opportunity is yours to be a part of what God's doing it through the Bible all around the world. So we welcome your partnership and ask God to bless you for your faithfulness and generosity, whatever that looks like for you. If you want to give today, you can go to ttb.org forward slash give or call 1-800-65-BIBLE. And remember, you can also write to Box 7100, Pasadena, California, 91109. In Canada, Box 25325, London, Ontario, N6C, 6B1. And to join our world prayer team and support this ministry through the gift of your prayers, visit ttb.org forward slash pray. I'm Steve Schwetz. So glad for your company and partnership on the Bible bus. I'll be here for our next study and will for sure save you a seat. Today's study with Dr. J. Vernon McGee is brought to you by Through the Bible, and it's made possible by the generous prayer and financial investments from listeners like you on the Bible bus all around the world.